you find yourself trying to approach a commercial objective morally and emotionally. Emotions and business, number one, very, very seldom go well together. Welcome to the Step Change Podcast from me, Mike Foster, the Entrepreneur's Mentor. My podcast is established to help you with your thoughts in the development of your own business. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Greenall of Oxford Vapors. Welcome, Dan. Uh, good morning. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Looking forward to exploring with you why you started, what you've learned, the highs and the lows of your business. But first of all, please tell my listeners a little bit about your business. Okay. So um, Oxford Vapors originally was a, a franchise um, which was Vapor Trails of Oxford. There was a chain of stores down in Bournemouth, where I'm originally from. Um, and my father and I, uh, somehow we came across them there in a small town near us. And we were, we were both smokers at the time. Uh, my dad's partner was a doctor of sexual health, um, obviously cared about all sort of health elements. She's never smoked a cigarette in her life. At the time, she would have been, I won't say an age, but yeah. Um, and uh, she basically didn't want my father and I smoking. So she bought us both a very primitive, awful vaping device in comparison to what's on the market today. And me being a pretty stubborn 17-year-old, uh, I had no interest in, in stopping smoking. I actually enjoyed the process. It was good for socializing. It was awful for fitness. But um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed being, being a smoker, which is ludicrous. But we ended up picking up these small devices. And on the day we were given them, which was June the 12th, 2012, I remember it somewhat fondly, um, we, uh, we just stopped. We both just switched and we started picking up this little cigar-like, cigarette look-alike system and just used that instead of smoking cigarettes. It took about, I don't know, a month tops to actually notice some pretty impactful health differences for both of us. Mainly my father, obviously, he was in his 60s at that point and he was uh, diagnosed with something called deep vein thrombosis. Um, it was impacting his walking. I remember him turning up to a football final of mine with a walking stick when I was 14. I'm thinking, what the hell? This is crazy. Um, and the doctor said to me, if you keep smoking, you're dead in six months, pretty much. And he wasn't a drinker, so there was no other sort of negative health things. Maybe not the best diet, not enough exercise. But um, So yeah, we, we were both so impressed with how well these little devices that were very kind of unwell known at the point. Um, I think back in 2012, there was approximately 150 to 200,000 vapors in the UK, people who were vaping. So a very small number in comparison to how many were smoking which was approximately 12 to 14 million at the time. And um, so my, my dad's partner lived in Oxford. She lived in Summertown, and he was living primarily up here then. I was still living in Bournemouth, attending the uh, Peter Jones Entrepreneurship College course. Um, I'll mention a little bit about that later. But the, the purpose of the course was basically to set up a business, establish one, and then have it trading from September. So have it trading in May. The course started in September and I was two weeks late to the course after dropping out of my AS levels or A levels. And um, yeah, my, my dad saw this opportunity. He thought that so many people would, would rather not smoke than smoke. Very few people sort of sing praises about how their breath's so lovely, how they can run for miles and miles because they smoke cigarettes. These are obvious things. We all know what the negative health impacts are. But I think you just slip into that sense of comfort really. Um, you start forgetting about the health things. We feel invincible quite a lot. And then you, you know, hit your 60s, 70s, you start getting some serious health problems as my, as my dad did. And um, yeah, so within the course, I, I chose vaping. Uh, they, they told me that I shouldn't do vaping. It was uh, promoting smoking on campus. Uh, you can imagine I was, I was quite argumentative as it was, to be honest, at that age. 
And uh, I made my views known. I expressed that these things have quite literally saved my dad's life. And I believe that the same impact for millions of others around the world and specifically the UK. So eventually they sort of buckled and they went, okay, now go on, you can do vaping. Thinking I'd, it would never actually establish to anything, I think was their logic. Um, and then, yeah, by November 2012, by this point, my dad had taken me to Lloyds Bank. We'd set up a bank account with a bank manager and stuff. All these new experiences for me. And, um, yeah, we were trading November the 18th, 2012, in Templar Square, Cowley. And the reason why we picked that location is because uh, my father was sort of going around there shopping one day. And he saw how many cigarette butts were in and around the shopping centre. And it was a very similar sort of demographic to where I was born and raised in, in Bournemouth in a place called Boscombe. Uh, the rehab seaside town, basically, is, is Boscombe. Uh, Gascoigne, famously, was there, sent there for a while. Um, so, yeah... It, we, we saw similarities. It was a very sort of low social economic grouping area. So we knew the smoking rates would be higher. That's just a very common statistic in, in this country specifically, but globally as well. And um, yeah, the, the rest is somewhat history. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a, a great introduction. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into some of those things you touched upon. But one of the things we were just talking about uh, before we started recording actually was that that was a great area to choose for your mobile retail unit at Templar Square, Cowley, Oxfordshire. Um, but actually, in Oxfordshire, it wasn't perhaps the the, the best, the most usage, uh, and perhaps not as obvious. Is that right? Um, yeah. Well, what we experienced was number one, we were trying to convince people that there was something that would help them, but they had to give money over to have that experience. So that that's hard enough in any sort of area you are. Um, but you tend to find that the less fortunate areas obviously don't have disposable income or as much disposable income. So you've got someone that's buying probably illegally imported tobacco, rolling tobacco or cigarettes at a discounted price than what they should be. And you're asking them to hand over £20, £30 to get a kit that will eventually save them a fortune. Um, for example, a 10 mil bottle of e-liquid is roughly the same as, say, 40 to, to 80 cigarettes, um, which if you were to buy them in packets nowadays, you're talking £12 a pack, it's £48 approximately. It's a lot of money. Um, and if people are doing 20 a day, it's an expensive habit just to kill yourself with, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, but unfortunately, Cowley, I think it was very hard to get the message across that we were smokers. This thing helped us. We would like to try and help you. Um, but it was never about selling them the product, if that makes sense. It was just informing them and saying, well, look at what's happened to us. In terms of health benefits, really, and financial benefits, we were very much on the breadline, sort of raised on benefits, myself from 14 or 13 to, to 17. Um, and smoking was a very unnecessary cost to us, an ongoing one. But the idea of just quitting, very, very hard in any addiction, but specifically smoking is one of the hardest things to quit. Yeah, I, I certainly am surprised how people can afford to smoke, let alone uh, want to smoke. To be fair, personally, that's my own personal opinion. But that's that's a really interesting insight, actually, into a uh, a sort of market demographic where something looks obvious, but once you get into the detail in terms of, like you say, affordability, um, incomes, etc., how that can can be a different area. One of the other things you touched upon in your um, introduction was the Peter Jones Entrepreneurship Program. Um, that uh, I know you had an experience with. Tell us uh, briefly about that. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you briefly, as it, as it was quite a brief experience. I um, The concept of the course was fantastic. So I, I don't discredit Peter Jones for what he was trying to do. If he actually did have much to do with it, I, I don't know. But um, so he spent £80,000 on a classroom for kids between the age of you know 16 and 24. And 
everybody had like Apple Macs and stuff. And it was a world I was not used to. You had to wear smart clothing to attend the course and stuff. And I didn't really have any smart clothing. Didn't have the money to buy it as a, as a kid. Um, and yeah, I, I very quickly realized that the sort of average academic level within the course was, was relatively low. But I didn't get on very well with a B-Tech format because I'm very good at, well, not very good at blowing my own trumpet. But if you give me a question that has a black and white answer, I'm normally quite good at finding the answer. This was so different. It would have a question that I'd answer within, say, three paragraphs. How am I coursework?ing No, you're wrong. Or can you please tell me where I've gone wrong? Well, read the read the question again. Well, I've done this so over and over. And anyway, it was just barrier after barrier after barrier. And the 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 individual teaching us, lovely guy called Dan. I can't remember his surname now for the life of me, but he was he was a really nice bloke. But I mean. I think his entrepreneurial background was like illustrating and writing a few kids' books, and he'd like generated maybe £140,000 revenue in, in his total business career. And it was just, wasn't really uh, inspiring. And I'm not trying to like downplay what he achieved within his sort of field, because obviously that's impressive. I couldn't write a book for Toffee, so I'm not saying I could have done what he did in what he was doing, but we just sort of, we're very unenthused as a group, really. Um, so anyway, I joined the course in September. The objective was by May, but thanks to my father's help and what he was doing in the background, he was obviously finding the sort of locations. Then I was viewing them and agreeing with him. So we picked Cowley. But yeah, by February, we then wanted to set up our first shop in, in Whitney in Oxfordshire, West Oxfordshire. So I came up. I, I was at this point, by the way, doing college four days a week, getting the coach at seven in the morning from Bournemouth to Oxford, working Friday, Saturday, Sunday, coach back down. I did that for four months. And in the end, I just thought, this is crazy. Like, I'm learning more just being at my stand, speaking to people, which I had a bit of experience through school from selling sweets and drinks. Um, but the customer service bit felt so natural. The sitting behind an iMac, an Apple Mac product, or, you know, an expensive computer that I was never going to be able to afford prior to joining the course. It just, yeah, I, I, I saw greater benefits to experience than in the theory side of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like, it. like the, the sharing of that journey and... Uh, you know, as you say, from that experience at school selling the sweets right through to, you know, I believe within four years you were you're hitting that one million pound turnover, that magic number. And, you know, to get to four years is a tick in one box because very few businesses get there. And to hit that one mil was uh, should be congratulated and recognised. Um, so tell us um, in your experience, what's been your biggest challenge as an entrepreneur or as a business owner? Um I've spent some time thinking about this. You, you very kindly sent me over the questions pre-me pre attending. And although I've had to do similar sort of interviews in the past with other things, everything changes all the time when you're in business. Like daily, you get new challenges. But I would say that the biggest ongoing challenge is employment. It, it's recruitment, basically, and, and working with people, be it your, your own staff or it would be, say, suppliers and other potential uh, business associates. It's tricky. Everybody's fighting for what they want and what they need. So I was always trying to come about this in a very sort of moral way and saying that everybody's equal. I refuse to have a hierarchy in my business. What a foolish decision that was. But so for the first three, four years, I refused to give anybody a title. I thought, no, you're all human beings and we're all equal. So I'm not going to label you with a management and then you're just shop staff. I didn't see the benefit. I thought it was demoralizing for the people sort of lower down the chain. Bearing in mind, I did do 42 days work experience at M&S where I got paid a box of chocolate biscuits for 42 days work, so slave labor. But anyway, so I, I hated the fact that in that environment, I was nothing 
to, to the, say, the manager of the store and the area manager. I just didn't mean anything to them. I was just there stacking shelves. Thank you very much. Go home. So I, I didn't want the same experience in, in my company, but you find yourself trying to approach a commercial um, objective morally and emotionally. Emotions and business, number one, very, very seldom go well together, as I've experienced. So it's been tricky. I would say I am definitely friends with every single member of staff that is working for the business and has ever worked for the business, um, but sometimes to my detriment. And, and it's tricky. You don't want to you know, performance review someone and give them constructive criticism when you're their friend because they then take it personally because you have got an emotional bond where it shouldn't really be that in, in business. And I was told that at a young age and I just thought, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. I thought this sort of friendly atmosphere would, would generate great results. And to a degree it has. What I have in it as a team of people, I couldn't ask for a better group of people. And there is that element of respect that runs a bit deeper than just, well, he's my boss. I don't like being called the boss when I'm at work. It, it, it's a very odd term for me to sort of handle. I know, I understand I am, but there should be respect given both ways. And I don't really appreciate business outfits where it isn't. You know, the, these are people, not numbers. Brilliant. Well, thanks, thanks for sharing that because uh, that's really interesting because I think, again, before we started recording, you, know, you were giving high praise to, to your team. It's really interesting that's been your biggest challenge to recruit that team. But I, I think that's the biggest challenge for most businesses and hopefully a, a good learn for our listeners today is that, you know, biggest challenge is recruiting people, but if you get it right, how well it can be for your business. So if we flip it the other end then, what's been the best part of your business? What have you enjoyed most? This was one of the hardest things for me to sort of document really and, and, and think of a, a very concise answer. I don't think I can, to be honest, because... Starting this at 17 and now being only 26, it's, a, it's been a large percentage of my, my total existence, my, the whole of my life. Um, but it's been through me becoming a, an adult, basically. So going from a child to, to, to a man to a degree. Um, in terms of the very best thing, I, I can't give you one, but some highlights definitely have been learning from other people that were either coming into the business or that were in the industry that were say 20 to 40 years my senior and being able to be that kind of submissive and accepting that I was ignorant really I'm, I'm very much happy to, to you know accept that I'm I know next to nothing because it's very difficult for someone of say 17 18 up to 26 to know so much when you haven't had the experiences so I think that that's been a really positive thing is just learning from other people that have done this been there and have got experiences to sort of pass on to me um obviously i learned a lot from my dad's stories as, as a child i think that's what gave me a bit of my entrepreneurial sort of drive he was in business from the age of 20 and sort of followed a very similar suit to him in a weird way um so yeah that that's been great working with people meeting new people and learning more commercial aspects through experience rather than books there's a huge difference mm. yeah and is there anything you would never do again as an entrepreneur, business owner? Um, again, it's a trick. I think it's very contextual that there's certain things that I would, if I was going to do this again, imagine it was a clean slate and a completely fresh new business. I would probably reduce the amount of friendly, friendly relationships I have in terms of with the employees, but I wouldn't change that for what I have now. I'm very grateful for what I have now, but if I was going to do it again, that, that would be one change. The main thing when I was thinking about this question is I was very much a hermit when I moved here. I knew nobody. I, I had no, you know, 17, 18 years old, I moved up to Oxfordshire on my own. I was living above the, the shop. 
in Whitney on a blow-up bed that deflated at 1am every morning. I didn't really like drinking particularly, so I didn't want to go to the pub on my own. Very weird experience. But gradually, customers became my sort of social life, which again is a strange dynamic. Probably wouldn't recommend doing that in the future, but... Um, yeah, I think uh, I would I would go and network more. I kept myself very isolated, uh, partly because I was young, but but mainly because I didn't want to risk falling into say bad habits by going out too much. But commercially, I should have networked with people within my sector a lot more. It's only of late, the past three years, that I've been going to say conferences and trying to have an impact and have my voice heard for the benefit of the sector long term. You know, suitable and sensible regulation. And you only do that by meeting like-minded people and other people within your business uh, area or arena. Brilliant. And uh, that looks like that, uh, that change of approach has been rewarded because you're now uh, director of the UK VIA, which is an association to correct the attitude to ensure in the vaping sector continue to offer smokers the most successful NRT available to them. So, Correct. Good news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I bumped into one of the directors at uh, the Next Generation Nicotine Delivery Conference. All very long-winded acronyms here, <laughs> which is a bit of a pain. But um, yeah, I think I was 19 or 19 or 20 years old and I, I went to this conference and stuck my hand up around a, on a roundtable discussion and everyone sort of just went, who the hell is this kid? Not in, I didn't think it was a positive way, but it turns out my, my point sort of resonated with a lot of them there. And I think, again, it was approaching the discussion from a moral outlook because we're playing with people's lives. We're trying to better them is, is, is the whole objective of the vaping sector and NRTs, nicotine replacement therapies. But the UK VIA, I think, is, is doing the right thing and it's trying to fight for the right causes. We don't want to just promote vaping to everybody. It's just about promoting it to smokers because of how successful they are. So it, it rang true with why I wanted to establish this business in helping people stop. Cool. And I think I know the answer to this, but what fuels your motivation every day? This, um, it, I think it's coming from very little without popping a violin out here. I'm, I'm not one for that really, but coming from a, a pretty poor background and seeing the stress that sort of, you know, my dad had onset depression and stuff through, through not having funds to raise me in a way that he wanted to. And my mum, a very similar position. So, um, sorry for getting all Jeremy Kyle on you, but... <laughs> For, it was. I, I never want them to want for money again. Not that I, I take a lot out of this company. I don't. I keep all the, the retained profit back in the business. I use retained profit to keep growing the company where I can and pay staff and stuff. But um, yeah, I just some of the money's a pretty evil thing in my opinion, or can be. And when you've seen, I'm not a, nowhere near the top end of the scale, but say I'm, you know top quarter or bottom quarter rather, going from the bottom to that quarter, there's a huge, huge difference. And in terms of financial stresses, it's kind of wiped them out predominantly. Um, and yeah, I just, I didn't want my family suffering through something silly and jovial like money, really. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fantastic. And, you know, looking forward, you know, what does the, the future bring? So I think you've uh, just launched your own e-liquid brand, is that right? Oh yeah, back in back in December 2017, we, we released a brand called Own Boy E-Liquids. We've, we've trademarked it in 50-odd countries and we're selling it currently in probably five or six we have sold it to, I think, a total of 12 or 13 since its sort of birth. Um, we've won a few awards for the brand. And the one thing that we did in approaching creating an e-liquid, not being manufacturers, not being distributors, we were just retailers and sort of passionate hobbyists, in essence. We wanted to create something that we were happy to spend money on. I don't just mean buying in bulk to get it cheaper, but we would be happy to pay the retail price. So it took us nine months to develop three flavors the first time round through revising samples. It's a very um, 
uh, what's the right word for this? Imagine being like a high-level Michelin star chef. Not that we are, and we don't have those kind of palettes, but we approached it from that kind of angle where we wanted to create this immaculate tasting product that was you know, long-lasting on coils, some of the disposable elements within vaping. We wanted people to smile when they consumed it. And we very quickly became recognized as a brand that put a lot of time and effort into flavors. And we're by no means the biggest brand in the country or Europe or anything, but we've done very well considering it's been built really by say three or four people and now is ran by one guy called Chris who works for the company, who's been an absolute godsend. Uh, the design work's done by Stephen Trott. He was a, a sort of graphic designer uh, before coming to work for us. And he's done an incredible job with the artwork on our products. So, yeah. Fantastic. And again, very admirable of you, your team around you. And one of the things that you um, explained to us when you were on our radio show fairly recently was about one of the differences about your business was your customer service. Um, so just to sort of finish the, this episode again, tell us a little bit about that customer service because I think it's more around advising and educating you were talking about. 100%, yeah. We th These things are unknown to someone that's never heard of them or used one or picked them up. I mean, even for myself at the early stages, the way these products have developed and changed so rapidly, being such a new and sort of infantile industry, um, educating was paramount. And the one thing I can't stand in life is people calling me to sell me something or even walking into a shop and having someone jump at me. Oh, how can I help you? What do you want? Can I leave me alone. Let me make up my own mind. But you can't do that in a vape environment where you're completely unknown to what you're walking into. So there has to be that sort of sense of comfort immediately provided. Where obviously all the staff were customers of, within my shop. So they're brand ambassadors straight off the bat. And they were all smokers. So they wanted to help people stop smoking because they saw the benefits themselves. And um, yeah, I, I did have an employee, I won't name names, but one employee who was bringing more money into the till than anybody else over a three-week period. I looked into what was happening. We had three complaints from customers and I, and I got rid of him. He was overselling, but he wasn't doing the right thing for the customer. I mean, why is that person ever going to want to come back and support the business when you've just missold them something they never wanted? I so yeah, I've, I've got no time nor patience for, for people that force sell things that someone doesn't need. Well, thank you, Dan. Thanks for, for joining me for this uh, podcast, sharing your journey. Um, it's an admirable journey in terms of uh, the journey that you've explained to us and uh, and you told me previously that you've been on. And uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts, your tips, your your journey, because I'm sure there's going to be listeners that will resonate from that and will pick up things, you know, particularly uh, some, some of the stuff you talked about in terms of, you know, whether it's reading the book or whether it's actually getting there and getting your hands dirty and getting it done. Um, some, some great tips there. In terms of if people want to know more about you and Oxford Vapors, how do, how do they find out? Um, so we've got our website, oxfordvapors.co.uk or .com. Uh, there's a, also a website for the brand of e-liquids, which is just ownboy.co.uk. Um, alternatively, you can find us on social media, uh, exact same handle, so at uh, ownboy e-liquids, no hyphen in that one, uh, next to E and L, and also Oxford Vapors. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for joining us and uh, sharing your, your journey. Pleasure. Thank you. So you've been listening to the Step Change podcast with Mike Foster, the Entrepreneur's Mentor, and my guest today, Dan Greenall of Oxford Vapors. It's fantastic to hear uh, Dan's journey, his entrepreneurial journey, why he started, why he learned his highs and his lows. And uh, please just uh, take some tips as Dan has shared and see how that he can help develop your own business. 
So as always, thank you for listening to my latest Step Change podcast. As always, I hope you found the content interesting, thought-provoking, and useful in that development of your own business. Please do subscribe to the podcast, and as I release my next episode, you'll be one of the first to know.